Dateline. Welcome to Media Made, the program during which we, year by year, examine the motion pictures, music on record, and television that most pervade our lives. I am your host, Old Sport, Rod, and I'm joined my, by my beautiful co-host, One Great Dame, <laughs> Jess. Hey, folks. Happy uh, April 1st to you. Forced. <laughs> April 1st to you. <laughs> um, it's going to be a little special episode. We're going to go back in time. 100 years to 1921 for a brief little episode of Media Made, just for the fun of it. A time when buildings were short, racism was long, and football was the country's main event. Back when men were men, and women knew that place. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely joking, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, I guess, trigger warning right away, uh, the 1921s, 1920s uh, were not a woke time. No, not a not a, it was, it, a lot of stuff has has not aged well. Correct. Certainly, they had different sensibilities. They they didn't know any better. Some did, some didn't. Just the way it was. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about a few things that uh, may offend, um, may seem certainly dated and, and just just plain uh, ignorant. But that's what the show is. It's history. It's a little bit of a time machine. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. you, what you were saying is the show was dated and no. a little bit racist. I the was show, like, what, are we are in two different shows, sir. Our show is a, it's a time machine. It's a look back at a period of time, year by year. And this year is 1921. Okay. So, uh, 1921, uh, that was, uh, we had a new president that year. Uh, president Harding took office, I believe. Took over for Mr. Woodrow Wilson. Did we enjoy him? Um... He, I, from what I understand, he was a good president until he left office, and then re- people realized he was a piece of crap. Oh, gosh. <laughs> he had a lot of scandals after ta- uh, leaving office. He was really good at keeping it all under yeah. wraps. Yeah. And uh, we had, the, the world had just gotten over World War One. It had just gotten over the influenza of 1918. <laughs> History repeats itself sometimes. Uh... So anyway, uh, for this episode, we're going to be looking briefly, briskly at uh, our movies of 1921 mm-hmm. and our music of 1921 because television was not a, really a thing in yes. 1921. So the first April Fool's part of this was he said television and he lied to you. There I, will be no television. I think television existed, like the concept, oh. but it definitely wasn't marketable. It wasn't you mm. know mass produced and it certainly wasn't it wasn't a consumer product at that time. I think okay. after war, World War II was when, you know, in the 50s is when television really took off. But yeah. I remember hearing a podcast, there was a horror movie from the 20s about the evils of television. Oh, gosh. And they didn't, people didn't know what television was back then. So they thought it was like this magical window into another part of the world. So you can like spy on people, like surveillance. Oh, wow. Through just television. Well, how did those people get into that tiny box? Yeah. So I thought, you know, maybe we could do three types of media for the show. Maybe we can do like radio programs. But it turns out that um, radio had just become a like, consumer thing in 1921 like the first real news broadcasts radio broadcasts took place in 1921 all right i got some radio facts here we go so the first radio broadcast for public consumption occurred november 1920 just a month before 1921 started oh wow um warren g harding became the first president-elect to be heard on radio Mm -hmm. and he gave his first presidential inauguration to, uh, to be broadcast on radio um, 1921 also saw the first radio broadca- broadcast for a live opera theater performance. 
the first religious service, the first sports broadcast, the first newsroom broadcast, and the first spoken weather forecast. So none of those things exist on the internet. <laughs> uh, may, maybe Harding's speech, but like we're like we're, we're not going to listen to a presidential speech and You've talk about it. You've already done it. Yeah, it's it's not it's not it's it's not fun, guys. So we're just going to stick to movies and music. Um, and it was a way harder to figure out what our movies and music were for 1921. Mostly than... because I kept nagging at him to do it, and he just wouldn't. He wouldn't do it at all. Do what? Look for mu- music Excuse or movies. Me. I was so excited for this episode, and you just refused. That is the exact opposite of how things went down. <laughs> I was very studious, and I took like I looked through a lot of information just to determine what our movies were. You know, because you look at a list of them. Neither of us had seen either of the movies we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that's true. Um, we had, it's, it was like hearsay and like, you know, like a random thing that said, yes, I am aware of that film. It is my film of 1921. Yeah, this could have been easier. We could have just done, you know, like video games for April Fool's. You but talked, no, you didn't want to do that. You talked me out of it. So here we are. <laughs> 19, okay. So that's enough. <coughs> That's enough preamble. Let's get into our films of 1921. Starting with Jess's movie of 1921. What was that? Did I have a movie? What was that? Released March 14th, 1921. Written and directed by Edward F. Klein and Buster Keaton. Starring Buster Keaton, we have Hard Luck. And uh, no sound effects. <laughs> very, very <laughs> few sound effects in this episode as well. Maybe some jazz is going on underneath. You know? do, 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 yeah. do, do, do. But um, yeah, so Hard Luck, Buster Keaton. This was like one of six movies released that year by Buster Keaton. He was a workhorse. He was a workhorse. And a the first stuntman. He was a gagman and a stuntman. Because <laughs> back then, it was silent pictures. You know, talkies, yeah. they weren't a thing yet, folks. No. So we watched two silent pictures. You wanted a talkie? You had to have the radio. Yeah. Um, or, or buy it on record, on vinyl. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I guess... When a dude got hired by a movie studio to make films, like short films, right? Especially short comedy films. They were expected to make as many short comedy films as possible. So, <laughs> Mr. Buster Keaton made several movies in 1921. And, Jess, can you tell people why? Why is your movie Buster Keaton and how did we decide on Hard Luck? Um, specifically because I had seen cl- clips of Hard Luck in a YouTube video by Every Frame of Painting because... I like video essays. Shout out, and to, shout out to every frame of painting. Yeah, he's one of he's a he's one of the good ones. He doesn't really upload much anymore for like the last three years, but his stuff that is on there is fun. So uh, Rodney happened to figure out that um, you were a fan of every frame of painting. Really, he just uh, snooped through my subscribe <laughs> uh, subscribed things on YouTube and was like, yeah, somebody had to have talked about something and. He did. He talked about Buster Keaton in a very long, not a very long, like an eight minute video. And so Rodney pulled up the credits for that video and was like, here are four movie clips that he showed from the, these four movies that came out in 2021. Pick one. 1921. 1921. And you just decided on hard luck. Yeah. And uh, I Mostly because every time I looked at it, I just went, it's a hard luck life. For us, that's not the lyrics. To be honest, this was a very interesting choice. I'm actually kind of glad we got this one because I have some things to talk about. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, and and that's how we stumbled upon it. That That is really how we stumbled upon it. So let's get some background on Mr. Buster Keaton. Okay. I'm sure people are aware of that name but know nothing about Mr. Keaton. 
Not Michael Keaton. Buster Keaton. Why would they be aware of his name? He's... I mean, maybe if they watch Stuntmen React. I don't know. It's it's like, <laughs> um, you know, people know random names from the past, like Harry Houdini and stuff. You I don't know? know who that is. <laughs> All right, here we go. Buster Keaton facts. Joseph. Not facts. Sorry. Joseph Frank Keaton was born October 4th, 1895. Hashtag 90s kid. <laughs> to vaudeville, <laughs> vaudeville, vaudeville performers Joe and Myra Keaton. Okay. So he was a vaudeville boy. Ah, a vodka boy. Vaudeville being the, like, very carny showtime type. You know, they were like traveling circus type people. Ah, yeah, they that were, kayfabe life. That, modern day professional wrestling has its roots in, in the carnival and, car- and vaudeville. So, yes, these are the prototypical, like, stuntmen slash wrestlers, right? Because a vaudeville troupe would travel the country... And they would have different acts, you know, there'd be the, you know, the, the freak show, vaudeville performances, maybe music, magic tricks, mm. and mentalist and wrestlers. Yeah. Like they would have like a, a strong man type mm-hmm, competition mm-hmm. and be like, Hey, can you, who can wrestle this man? You know, if you, <laughs> if you, if you can pin him, you win a thousand dollars or something, you know, you win $15, <laughs> $15, you know, and they, they, you know, kayfabe some marks. <laughs> Yeah, basically, 100%. I just had a horrible realization. One day, if one of our TV shows happens to be something to do with wrestling, you're going to go through the whole history of wrestling. Maybe one day. So Keaton's father, Joe, owned and operated a traveling vaudeville show with one Harry Houdini called the Mohawk Indian Medicine Company. All of that is offensive. Yeah, I told you. So medicine show, right? I, I had to look this up. Basically, it was a vaudeville show, mm. and they sold patent medicine on the side. Ooh. They were snake oil salesmen. Yeah, yeah. So they were legitimately just conning people in addition to doing weird shows for them. <sighs> it, they were like the carny of all carnies. Yes. <laughs> um, so the nickname Buster came from an alleged incident when young Joseph was only 18 months old. Is carny offensive? I don't think so. Okay. I hear it often. All right. Continue. Joseph um, was eight months old? Eighteen. Okay. He took a tumble down some stairs and, and, and like basically brushed himself off and had no injuries. So, um, he the, was made of rubber. Yeah. So a uh, an actor named George Partier, I guess, who was part of this troupe said, he's a regular buster. George Partier? Partier. Partier. <clears throat> Partier. George Party said. Partier. We're going to go with that. Continue. Uh, Buster Keaton began f- performing with his parents at the age of three as part of the Three Keatons. Cute. <laughs> so the show basically was like this, like domestic skit. You know, mm-hmm. they would do comedy skits, and based and the the dad Joe, they would do pantomime and like slapstick, and he would throw the kid around, oh. and the kid would like you know bust tables and stuff like that, and and then like stand up and go like I'm okay. Keaton came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> I'm gonna draw and it, legitim- and put it on a shirt. Legitimately, um, because you know, young Buster, he was trained. Like they trained him yeah. to take falls, flat back bumps, yeah. all that stuff, right? And so there were allegations of child abuse that would happen frequently because uh, they thought this man was really putting his child in danger. Yeah. But then they would go to court or go to the police or whatever, and Buster would show, "I have no bruises, I have mm-hmm. no cuts. Um, I can demonstrate how I can take a fall. We are trained professionals." Ooh. Yeah. Had to do that till he was 18. Mm. 
around 1917, Buster and his mother left the act due to Joe's alcoholism. They traveled to New York and transitioned into silent film. What is it always with Joe's trying to raise their kids to be famous, having problems with alcohol, <laughs> their kids needing to emancipate themselves? Yeah, you were right. Joe's? Hey, kids. I'm not saying don't name your children Joe. Be a good Joe. Yeah. If you are a Joe, strive to be a better Joe. Or uh, don't go by Joe. Uh, Buster eventually met film star Fatty Arbuckle um, at, okay. at Talmadge Studios, where he was asked to step in and try acting on the film The Butcher Boy. Hmm. I guess he was just there and, hey, you want to star in this movie? He's like, <laughs> okay. Uh, Buster was such a natural that he was hired on the spot. Wow. Yeah. Um, from there, Buster was off to the races. <laughs> he starred in 14 films with Arbuckle by 1920 and was given his own production unit by studio executive Joseph M. Schenk. Hard Luck was the sixth film made by Buster Keaton Productions. Oh, cool. Yep. He had his own production by then? Yep. The man was a star. People just poured money into him like he was... Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. It's not the name I was going to say, but I can... Quentin Tarantino. He, he's more prolific than Tarantino, I'll tell you that. Like, this man just cranked oh, him yeah. out. Oh, yeah. I believe, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's how we got Hard Luck. So, hey, let's talk some Hard Luck. Okay. So, tell us. Um, so... Hard Luck is, it's it's a short film. It's like 18 minutes long, 20 minutes long. It's 30 minutes long. 30 minutes long. <laughs> and the thing is, back in those days, especially comedies, it was a gag film. Mm -hmm. It was just a series of gags over yeah. and over again with a very loose plot that would kind of connect them together. Very loose. So what's the premise of Trigger warning. Trigger warning. <laughs> like your first episode, main character wants to commit suicide. Down on his luck, working class dude. Just keeps trying to kill himself and fails. Yep. It's, what is with it? It Would is you, Lane Bryant. From Better Off Dead, yep. your 85 film. What is up with that? You just, you are drawn to stories about. <laughs> I picked a name off of a list. I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hard Luck was written by Buster Keaton himself and Edward F. Klein, who had served as co-writer and co-director of Hard Luck, as he had done for every Buster Keaton production up to that point. And uh, I guess Keaton later identified him and Klein. They were the only two gag men on the on all of the shorts. You oh know? wow! Because I guess so. I had to look it up. Like gag men is a legit industry term back back in the day. Mm -hmm. The gag men would conceive visual jokes for silent comedies, working in groups, throwing ideas around. So it's kind of tricky to say who did what, but it was like a committee thing. Mm -hmm. But for Buster Keaton, it was Buster and Klein, and they would write all the jokes. So can, what what are some gags that happen in the movie? So, that I can remember. Yeah, so like the dude wants to kill himself, so he does a few things. He like tries to hang himself from a tree, but the tree keeps bending under his weight, so he can't do that. Uh, and he has to run from the police because it is illegal to yeah. kill, kill oneself in public. Yeah, and he tra laid down in front of a train. It took place in San Francisco or LA. No, no it was LA. Yeah. It took place it in clear LA. Clearly LA before uh, the cable cars went away. Yes, because there were cable cars. He laid himself down in front of a cable car, and it stopped right before him to switch to go backwards because that was a thing cable cars did. Yeah. That's the thing about Buster Keaton. The man put himself in harm's way legitimately. All the time. Yeah. Um, there's some like classic clips of him like just sitting on the like rotating um, arm of a, of a locomotive. Yeah. <laughs> like a train. He's just sitting on it. Like, like if one false move and you is dead, Buster. Yep. And and that's just real. There weren't like, there were string. There was probably, like, there definitely was like rope and stuff, but not like... I, I think until even just maybe a decade later was it used like line I keep wanting to say like, line theory, but like 
lines like they use today, safety harnesses. Yeah, yeah. It was he. Yeah, it was. It was just like the Wild West days back then. There's there's some animal stuff in there too. It's kind of like a smorgasbord of like different gags in this film because like not only is like he. You know, doing stunts, but he's got live animals that he's like, he rides a horse. Yeah, the horse is a trained professional. Yeah. <laughs> that um, is a carnival. And he's horse. like he's like jumping from the horse onto platforms above the horse, running and then landing on the horse again. Yeah. And uh he has fish. Oh yeah, he does like this whole montage of like getting because he gets a job at one point, but from a guy if he felt like a mobster whatever and so he needs to go and do something in the land and he then... like he wanders into like a fancy party or or a, like a, a gentleman's restaurant lounge gentleman's lounge and the gentlemen are gonna go out on a on a wild hunt that's what people did back in the day you know mm-hmm. and and certain rich people do today i guess i guess they i was looking it up apparently they were out to hunt armadillo well that's how you get the leprosy <laughs> yeah. so Buster Keaton, because he's at the end of his rope and he has nothing better to do, he decides, yes, I'm going to take part in this expedition for the wild armadillo. (laughs) When he was fishing, he legitimately blew himself up. He put live rounds on a fire, walked away, and then they apparently got hot enough, came back, and there was an explosion that he was next to a person, like... I don't know that they had blanks back then. The gunpowder went off. Yeah, or fireworks or something. Dynamite. Yikes. Yeah. They were shooting guns. Oh, yeah, they did have guns. Guys, it's scary. Yeah. It's scary when you know that they were like, what? Yikes. And then there's there's a sequence where, because Buster, like, every so often he'll, like, you know, get infatuated with some dame. You yeah. You know, like, oh, here's a pretty woman over there. Let's Me, go I impress am her. I fine dame. Yeah. <laughs> and he would, uh, you know, take part in a in a fox. Uh, what is what is it? like uh-huh. a fox, fox hunt. hunt? Yeah, take part in a fox hunt to oppress a woman, and then he goes back in to this like I don't know if it's an inn. Yeah, it's a country club. Yeah, a club of some sort. Yeah, to like you know impress this woman or woo this woman, and all of a sudden, wild wild west outlaws show up. Yeah, and out of uh, nowhere, he the the character is introduced as the wild west outlaw lizard lip Luke. And is this giant man. He's very, very tall. This ox of a man comes in and starts, like, strong-arming the women, you know? Yeah. Being, uh... To me, it... I would not be surprised if the Popeye cartoons... Were based off of that guy? Were based on, like, this skit. Mm. Or skits like it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I looked it up. The guy who plays Lizard Lip Luke, his name is Big Joe Roberts. And he was part of a rowdy act known as Roberts, Hayes, and Roberts. <laughs> and their their signature routine on the vaudeville circuit was called the Cowboy, the Swell, and the Lady. Oh god! And that sounds like that sounds like Popeye. You know, it could very well be the Sailor, the Swell, and the Lady. Right? That's fair. You know, like the big brute comes in, steals the lady. The lady's like, "No, help!" Is "swell" a good word? Or I, a I bad was. Word? I thought it was like this, like a big, oh, swole like swell nation. That's what I thought. <laughs> I think "swell" means. <sighs> You're swell. Maybe. You're neat. It might be the cowboy, the swell, and the lady. But yeah, and then you know the 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 good guy has to come in and save the mm-hmm. woman by outsmarting the brute and eating his vegetables. Right. <laughs> Buster does not eat his vegetables, but he does outsmart the brute. Um, and it reminded me of old Popeye. It reminded me of almost like Super Mario Brothers too. Mm. Like I would think that the the DNA of hard luck and Buster Keaton lived on through like the slapstick. Fleischer cartoons, mm-hmm. and then into Super Mario Brothers and like old school 
Nintendo. Because <laughs> Miyamoto loves that stuff. And then the the short ends on an iconic scene, apparently. Apparently this was uh, this was the real uh, laugh getter back in the day. Oh dear, what's that? Yeah, it? can you describe what the final gag is? Uh, well, he finally saves that girl he's been chasing after, and he's like, now we can finally be in love. And she was like, oh, well, you gotta ask my husband. <laughs> and her husband's just like, way too tough so he like goes haha i'm just gonna go swimming climbs up yes that transition is as clunky as you think it is, it is super clunky uh he climbs up on the high board to impress the other ladies that are there and goes to jump in the pool misses the pool dives into the concrete and just falls into a big hole yeah. people are like i can't see him before we give away what the final gag is so at the time this is what buster keaton would call the impossible gag mm-hmm. it, was, it was like magic trick right mm-hmm. like an illusion right he would do something that seemed impossible so him Diving off a high dive board, like a diving board, into what appears to be hard concrete right. is an impossible gag. Because you're like, that man's dead. Yeah. And they didn't have visual effects back then. So you're just looking at this, you're like, that man's dead. And we <laughs> thought, we were watching, and we're like, it could be animation or something. Yeah. But there was no. definitely a, a, a f- cell. Like, you saw, you saw the transition in the film. So it looked like it, but I figured out how they did it. So here's the secret. They used a T-shaped pool. What? So, oh, a pool that's shaped like a T. I yes. was thinking like the tea you drink. No, a, t- <laughs> a T, the letter, like the letter T, shaped pool. And apparently, this was a special pool at Brunton Studios in Melrose. Oh. It's currently now the Paramount Studio. Oh. Um, so it's this pool where you know you if you cover up one side of the T, mm-hmm. right? It just with with like some it. like, and apparently they covered it with wax. Like wax paper, mm-hmm. printed, painted to look like brick. Right. And if you cover up basically one side of the pool, it just looks like a small pool, you know, right. a small rectangular pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he dives from the center, like basically the top center of the T mm-hmm. forward and jumps into this wax paper. Right. And it looks like he's jumping into concrete when really there's a, you know, there's water underneath yeah. the paper. Is there like an X on it he can see and the camera can't so that he, yeah, he probably. can good? Yeah. I was like, let's not that's risk still, this. Yeah, that's it's still super terrifying. Especially super terrifying. like if, if it was really that high, that pool better be deep Yep. because you're going to hit the bottom. And then as we're watching this, he, you know, he, he, he dives under, he basically, he dives, he and crash, a hole. he crashes headfirst into the concrete, creates a hole, and then the scene changes and it's just like a shot of this hole. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's nighttime. And we're like, Oh man, what's, what's the joke? You know, what's going to happen next? And I think to myself, and then I say to you out loud, did he go to China? <laughs> because that seems like something they would do back then. Yeah. Lo and behold, it says four, like 10 years later. And Buster Keaton crawls back out of the hole dressed as a, pardon my expression, Chinaman, mm-hmm. a very racist stereotype. Of someone from from the yes. from from you don't Asia. Have to explain it. We get it. <laughs> with a, with an Asian wife and an Asian son. Yeah. And the joke has been that he crashed all the way to China. He went through the earth and has had a started a family, and now he's come back. Yeah. It is super outdated. Yeah. And, and like problematic. And we're like, cool. <laughs> Thanks. I hate it. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> and that's hard luck. <laughs> yep. So. Um, I was looking at reception for Hard Luck, and apparently it was quite much pop- loved. Much loved, quite popular. Many, many happy. <laughs> many happies. Critics of 1921, I got the San Francisco Bulletin described Hard Luck as, quote, two reels of genuine humor. 
The examiner called it, quote, the best that Buster Keaton has made. Oh, wow. And the Chronicle said, quote, anyone who can sit through the last 50 feet of hard luck without a heartfelt howl of laughter carries his own blue laws with him. I have blue laws. They are in my pocket. I thought it was interesting that they referred to, back in the day, they didn't say, like, if you don't laugh through the last, like, two minutes of the movie. They said the last 50 feet of film. <laughs> That's quite interesting, that they used to measure the length of film as opposed to the, the minute the duration. Time. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and Keaton himself has called the final gag of Hard Luck the greatest laugh-getting scene of his career and his personal favorite. Oh, wow. Yep, the racist joke. <laughs> well... If it had just been the high dive gag, that would have been cool. Because yeah. it was quite shocking, and then we're like, oh, and then How if it just ended. It? Yeah. yeah. But nope, nope, we gotta, oh, gotta no, get some no. racism in there. <laughs> so for 60 years, Hard Luck was Keaton's only major lost film. Because a lost film basically because film was, it's called film for a reason. The mm -hmm. movies existed on canisters of film. Right, right, right. Like, you know, you would get, you had to get your film developed and all that stuff, mm -hmm. right? So. And this was a plot point in the movie Hugo. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if there was a period of time, especially during, like, World War II or, you know, even World War I, you know, uh, wartime or happened. They needed, they needed to make shoes out of old film canisters and stuff like that, you Did know? They? Yeah. Oh. Like, they had to repurpose, like, old movie film for, for like, goods, mm -hmm. you know, because, hey, it's wartime or yeah. it's the Depression. Yeah. Like, we got to get rid of this. So We don't need comedies. This is war. So they're are quite a few just lost films, like just lost to history. The, mm -hmm. all, all of the existing prints of the movie are just gone. I destroyed, the missing. the most racist versions of the movies. Yeah. It was funny. We went through a bunch of uh, movies from 1921 just to decide what Jess's movie was and my movie was. And one of the movies on that list was Brewster's Millions, which was remade in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And you were like, I've seen the original. Let's just do that. The so, original, the remake. You've seen the remake. But then I looked it up and apparently the original Brewster's Millions is a lost film. Yeah. So... Couldn't watch that. But also still real great, because I don't know that I would want to sit through a however long silent film of Brewster's Millions. Yeah. Jesus, thank you. <laughs> Hard Luck was partially reconstructed in 1987, with the critical final scene still missing. Oh. Yeah. But thanks to a Russian archive print that was found a few years later, the full film has been completely restored. Nice. Now you can watch it right now. On YouTube. On YouTube. For free. Um, after Hard Luck... Buster Keaton continued to build a prolific body of work throughout the 1920s, and he directed his first feature film, Three Ages, in 1923. What made it feature? Like, it was long. Okay. It was like, you know, not two reels of film, but like eight or something. Oh. Yeah. Feature length is, you know, feature length. Yeah. Though now considered one of the greatest films of all time, Keaton's 1926 feature, The General, received mixed reviews and lost his distributor a lot of money. As a result, studios never trusted Keaton with full control over his films again. Oh, no. Yep. Um, Just one mess up? One. What well, was the big one? One bomb, yeah. In what he called the worst business decision of his life, Buster Keaton signed with MGM in 1928, surrendered nearly all of his creative freedoms, and starred in a series of talkies. Because <laughs> <laughs> Buster Keaton was very... He had a lot of pride, mm -hmm. creative pride. And for him, it was like all about the... The purity of the gag. Yeah. Right? He didn't even like to use, like, title cards yeah. for his movies, you know, with, like, narration or dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, I want my stories to be told through the action, the yeah, pantomime. Yeah, through the visuals. Yep. So, yeah, he didn't... Otherwise, I would have written a book. He didn't much like the talkies. Uh... uh his career declined throughout the 1930s, and he suffered a few personal crises, 
But he rebounded in the 40s after critics began to reassess his work and a new generation of comedians recognized his legacy. Nice. Uh, Keaton received an honorary Oscar in 1959 and he has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. How did he manage that? I think one for TV and one for movie. Oh. Um, he is now widely considered one of the greatest silent film performers of all time and everyone from Orson Welles to Mel Brooks to Jackie Chan to Johnny Knoxville oh dear. <laughs> cite the influence of Buster Keaton as the premier comedic performer. Good job. Good job. <laughs> I want to watch Jackie Chan movies now. And let's let's dive off that high bo- high that high dive and go right into the next movie. Boo! <laughs> Boo to your segue. We're gonna talk about my movie, 1921. Released January 21st, 1921, starring Edna Perviance, Jackie Coogan, and Charles Chaplin. Written, directed, and produced by Charles Chaplin. We have. The Kid. So, my movie's The Kid. I had never seen The Kid, um, but I knew it existed thanks to one line from a certain movie called Inglourious Bastards. Oh. J'ai toujours préféré Leonard à Chaplin. Si ce n'est que Leonard n'a jamais fait un film aussi bon que Le Kid. Le Kid. Le grand moment de la poursuite du Kid. Super. So, in that line, the, the young German soldier... Uh, is speaking French. He is speaking French. And uh, he says that he's always preferred Chaplin. Um, to Keaton. Well, no, he's always preferred Linder to, Cap- to Chaplin. Uh-huh. But no one has ever made a film as good as The Kid. Huh. The final climactic scene in The Kid? Super. <laughs> I don't know if I agree yeah, with him on that one. definitely don't agree with that. Yeah. The final <laughs> climax chase scene where he's you know, running up the, the roof. Remember that? That's, is that the climactic thing? He, that's the only chase that I remember from the he movie. He said chase. He did say chasing. Not, not, the, not the heaven part? Not that part. Okay. Sorry, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah, the, in, in Inglourious Bastards, this character praises the chase scene in the kid. And uh, after seeing the kid, I, I don't think I'm quite as impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is, Tarantino, I have no idea what you're talking about. Correct. Because <laughs> he wrote that line. He did. So, Charles Chaplin, the other star of silent film right we, we right. got we got them both in here ladies and gentlemen yeah so let's get some charles chaplin facts out of the way charles spencer chaplin or charlie chaplin took to stage performing at the age of nine in part to escape from his troubled childhood grew up he was he's a he's british you know that yes yeah so he, do he, not give in to these that's true i, I didn't know if he was doing an accent machine men <laughs> machine hearts and machine minds that is the only thing I know about Charlie Chaplin. It sounded like Skeletor. You mine, and me. Mine. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, Charles Chaplin, he was born poor in, in London. Um, by the time he was 24, he had performed with comedy troops at the circus on the vaudeville circuit and on London's West End. Oh, yeah, the he, West End. Yeah, he's a playboy. Um, in 1913. Were people in the West End playboys? He was, he was a, a play performer. <laughs> Oh, okay, got it. A stage guy. He's a stage man. <laughs> in 1913, he was scouted by Keystone Pictures to work in silent silent movies and made his acting debut in 1914's Making a Living. Never That's seen it. That's cute. Um, within three months of the release of that film, Charlie had already directed his first short. Oh. It's either 20 Minutes of Love or Caught in the Rain, depending on who you ask. <laughs> film historians still don't know. Is 20 Minutes of Love only 20 minutes long? Don't know. And he was already developed his iconic tramp character. So the classic mm. Charlie Chaplin image, you know, with the, the mustache. Yes. And like the flat feet and like he waddles with the hat. That's <laughs> called the tramp character. Got it. The persona. 
Yes. Um, within a year, he was already considered the biggest star in the world. No joke. Highest paid, most well-known all throughout the world. Wow. Yeah. Like, people loved him. He was Fair. on lunchboxes. He was on, you know, everything. They had lunchboxes? Yeah. Gotta send your kid to the factory. What do you expect them to do? Eat, oh, eat a well, sandwich, eat a sandwich getting, in their pocket? If we're sending kids to factories, we're probably not giving them fancy lunchboxes. <laughs> you can have it in this tin. <laughs> I painted Charlie Chapman on it for you. <laughs> After jumping around from studio to studio, Chaplin formed Charles Chaplin Productions in 1918 with distribution by First National. Is that a bank? It is a film studio. But it sounds like a bank. It does. <laughs> Chaplin married his first wife, actress Mildred Harris, in 1918 as well. Uh, she gave birth to a son in 1919, uh, but the baby tragically passed away very young, so very sad. Um, this event and his own troubled childhood likely inspired Chaplin to create the comedy drama that would become 1921's The Kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could see that. Yeah. Um, the Kid stars a young Jackie Coogan as the character of The Child. That was the best child actor I've seen that young. You want to know why he was so good at acting? If you say carny. He was a carny. Just that like, carny life. Just like little Keaton. Oh, God. Coogan was a vaudeville actor uh, who was discovered by Chaplin in Los Angeles at a vaudeville show. Well. Yep. Uh, he was then given the role. Um, Send your kids to vaudeville. Yep. He was given like a test role in ni the 1919 short A Day's Pleasure. Uh, which it was like the trial run to the kid okay. to see if Jackie could, you know, basically like take it. I guess. Baby stay out. Yeah, it's Got like it. all of the same actors from the kid are in this. Oh. So, and then uh, production on the kid was completed in 1920, uh, but the release was held off due to Chaplin and Harris's divorce. Oh. Yep. Uh, Harris at the time sought to basically seize Chaplin's assets. Oh. So he and his associates smuggled the raw negatives of the kid to Salt Lake City. Uh, reportedly packed in coffee tins and edited the movie in a, in a hotel room. Wow. You had to be careful, too, because film. Film is very delicate Ooh. and flammable. Flammable. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> That's the kid. That's... They made the kid. I mean, what'd she get, though, in the settlement? <laughs> I don't know. She, she, hopefully she got some, some good money. I mean, something. Char Charlie was, uh, he was, he was well off back then. As well off as you could be in 1921. Mm. So what'd you think of the kid? I loved every moment of it. I couldn't get off the couch. Uh, couldn't tear myself away from it. She's lying. <laughs> and I have the proof. <laughs> so this is a recording that she secretly recorded while we were watching the kid. You're, you're going to hear some, like, you know, piano music in the, in the background. This is her trying to get away from watching the kid, like, 30 minutes in. And it's only a... It was a, more than 30 minutes in. It was. It's a 60-minute movie. It's not even a full 90 minutes. And she couldn't handle it. It was so long. Okay, goodbye. I just won't go now. I won't go now. Come on. You gotta watch it for a show. Let me go. <laughs> I just want to be home now. <laughs> She's wrestling with me, trying to get away from the TV. Oh, man. It's actually a line from the movie, yeah, too. Yeah, it's a line from the movie that I was just, I was like, why is it, what is it even saying? I wanted to go so bad. Oh, all right, so the plot of the kid. 
Um, the main, basically, the main conceit is a young boy is orphaned by his mother. She's a starving actress at the time, I guess. Right? I guess. I don't know. She, you don't, you don't know what her circumstances are. Yeah. But she has this young baby, and she can't support it. Literally, the first time, the like, the first card of the thing is her sin. Motherhood. Motherhood was her sin. Her only sin was motherhood. motherhood. Yeah, her only sin was motherhood, and I was like, I. This is three seconds in. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit this for an hour. What What is this movie? And so the young mother abandons her child in a car, like thinking, okay, this whoever this family is, they own an automobile, so they must be well off. The baby will have a good life with them. How, if she jumps her kid, how is motherhood her sin? <laughs> Abandonment is her sin. Not Keaton. Chapman, who wrote this? Chapman. Oh, yeah, wait. Chaplin. We, li- we like Ch- Tracy Chapman. <laughs> well, I know one song. By her. So anyway, um, by a series of mishaps, the baby ends up getting, like, taken by, like, some... some so the car gets... Stolen. Stolen. And, like, dumped in, uh, like, the... I don't know, the, the slums. Yeah, they, like, discover the child, and they take it out of the car that they've just stolen, and then just, like, set it on... In an alley. Yeah, and... He, the baby is happened upon by the tramp, the tramp. Charlie Chaplin. And he's like, there's a baby here. I don't want this baby. Well, he like is like, oh, there's a baby here. And by happenstance, a woman with a stroller like happens to go pu- by the alley because she's going to like the butcher or something. And he's like, oh, this must be your baby. This must be your baby. Picks it up, puts the child in her stroller and it's like, you dropped this and walks away. And then the, the woman is like, no, 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 that's not my baby. You take this baby back. And so he, he ends up because, you know, the, the police are like on his on his uh, on his tail. You know, he's he's a poor man himself. He's getting hassled by the police. He's kind of a con man. And so he just decides, fine, I'll just keep this baby. Yeah, basically. And he raised the boy as his own. Yes. Five years later. And five years later. Well, well before that, like we cut to the mom because she's had a moment where a stranger's baby comes up and hugs her. And she's like. What have I done? And she made goes a terrible back to, mistake. She goes back to the house where the car is, but the car's not there. So she's like knocking on the door and she's like, uh, uh, and passes out. And then five years later, it's like the woman is now a well-known actress. Yep. She is. Uh, just what? And, and so she's now like, you know, her biggest regret in her life was leaving, dumping her child, leaving her baby behind. And so like, she thinks this baby is off somewhere. I'll never see him again. Um, and it does turn her into a philanthropist. Yeah, that's true. She she goes and a to generous she, giver. She goes to uh, some uh, impoverished children and gives them toys and candies and things. One of them happens to be her son, but she doesn't know that, right? But yeah, the child is being raised by the tramp um, and being groomed to be like a con man. Yep, <laughs> he helps the tramp um, break old ladies' windows so that the tramp can like stroll in and say, "Ah, oh, is your window broken?" Me to fix it for you. No, that'll I'm be ten shekels. Yeah. <laughs> shekels. <laughs> that'll be that'll be ten dollars. <laughs> oh, man. two dollars, man. Ten dollars is a lot. Yeah, I know. That'll be two nickels, man. I don't. Yeah. I don't know money. Probably closer to two nickels. So yeah, he's just using this kid to, to con people. Make, yeah, make some money. Which is what um, do you have? But he's a good for? father. Mm. He cares about his child. Yes. He, he feeds that I, boy. I will say he cares about the child. He feeds that boy. He houses that boy. He protects that boy from bullies. He does. And he's heartbroken when the authorities come to take the baby. That's true. And when the child gets very, very sick. Uh, he he does take care of the child. Is 
Would I say that he is a good father? No, but he does take care of the child and yeah. is a dad to it. Right. <laughs> and usually, like, the because that's the thing. What this, do you name it? John. The child's name is John. Child, child's name is John. So this is a mix between a comedy and a drama, right? And I guess that was very novel at the time. Never, never been done dramedy. before. It's The movie starts with a title that says, like, hopefully you go into this with a laugh and perhaps a tear, you know, or something <laughs> like that. And so, you know, there are very sentimental moments where, you know, uh, Charles Chaplin is taking care of this little baby and he's concerned about its, you know, how the boy's health and mm-hmm. the authorities coming to take him. But then in the middle of it, there's just a bunch of slapstick. Yeah. You know, the, him and that kid will go on misadventures. Mm-hmm. Um, they play very well off of each other. They do. Like we said, that kid is a natural. Yeah. And there's a reason, he, like, Jackie Coogan grew up to be a, a comedian. Like, yeah. You know, a, a, a real bona fide actor. So, mm-hmm. like, all of those scenes are great. Yeah. I think, like, the, like a bully shows up, like a, I don't know, vaudevillian style, like, rough and tough. Yeah, he takes the kid's toys and throws them, and so the kid's like, oh, we're gonna fight. Yep. <laughs> and they ha- either they have a fight, they run from the police. Um, it's all, it's all well, good fun. Yeah. But then things take a turn, and the authorities come for the, Come for the child. Yes. And uh, and that's the tramp's fault. Well, sort of. Because the kid gets sick, and then uh, the kid's mom happenstance. So we're not going to get into all of that. Who cares? Uh, yeah. Watch it if you care. <laughs> and uh, the a doctor comes, and is just like, you've got to take, like, and says, like, are you this child's father? And so, the, the tramp w- stupidly is like, I mean, sort of. And te- Technically speaking. Technically. And it's like, what? Technically? What do you mean? And he brings out this note that he found with the baby uh with when the kid was a baby that was like please love and cherish this orphan child and shows that to the doctor and the doctor's like we're gonna get welfare out here yeah like basically like oh well i'm gonna call the people on you and the people come out the next day while the kid is still sick (laughs) and so him and the boy have to go on the run they try to like stay at like a public house Mm -hmm. like a i guess i guess that's what you call it yeah it's a uh yeah, an inn, a pop- public house, yeah. Yeah. Just a sleeping... Yep, and uh, so they're like... And, and and then, like, there's an all-points bulletin, or not that... Like, the newspaper says, like, if you see any... If you see this orphan boy, there's a reward for yeah. him. And so the owner of this, this common house says, hey, there's an orphan boy staying with this weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> this weirdo with the mustache. I'm gonna steal the orphan boy while the weirdo with the mustache sleeps. And get the... Reward money. And get the reward money. And there's, it's fair. Times there's, are hard. Yep. And there's a bit of a chase, and that's where you get the superb chase. <laughs> Might be before. Yeah, the, the superb chase happens before. It, okay. So he runs from the people, right? The yeah. authorities taking the boy. They have a superb chase, apparently. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, what what ends up happening is, like, he's fighting the people, and the, and the people, like, bring a cop up, and the cop and the people... Why do I keep... Child services are holding back the tramp. One of them takes the kid to the car and then puts him puts him puts in, a, in the back like a truck yes and drive off and so the tramp is left with the cop in his beautiful apartment and he knocks the cop down climbs up on the roof and like runs away from the cop and he's like it's just it's like, that's the chase it's like assassin's creed he's like running from rooftop to rooftop yeah. trying to you know trying to catch this truck on the street and he like jumps down mm-hmm. i don't i can't remember if he like slides down a, a, a like a drain pipe, or if he just jumps for it. But yeah, he's trying to catch up with the kid. And he does. And he does. He gets the kid, and they go on the run. Mm-hmm. But like we said, the kid gets taken. 
two child services by someone expecting a reward, and yeah. he's reunited with his mother. Yes. And then the tramp is like despondent. Yeah. He's like, they took my kid. What am I going to do? Yeah. I have, I have nothing left. And he falls asleep drunk on the street. Yeah. And has a very, very strange dream sequence. A very strange long. It's like 20 minutes of the movie. It seems like they're like, hey, Charlie, we want to make a, a feature film. Great. I've only got story for about half of it. <laughs> but what are we going to fill the next half with? A dream sequence. where The weirdest dream sequence. Where my character goes to sleep drunk on the street and has a dream that the entire neighborhood is angels and devils. It's heaven now. Yeah. And so everyone's got wings and it's this weird morality play where like a bully dressed as the devil is like tempting characters in the street. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with anything. The theme doesn't come through, at least no. not to me. It's just all comedy. Yeah. You know, slapstick comedy. The best part of that whole sequence is they've got a dog on a wire with wings. <laughs> the little dog flies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's my favorite really part. Tickled. <laughs> I love that dog. But that's it. And then Can he wakes up. that dog? And then he wakes up and child services say, hey, we reunited the, the boy with his mother. Yeah, and the cop takes him to there. And the very last scene is him just hugging the kid at his, the rich lady's home. And being invited in the house. Yeah. So we don't know if he's going to, like, he's he's like a surrogate father for him. If she's allowing the tramp to stay in her home. Yeah. All we know is that the tramp, the child, and the mom are all reunited at the end of the movie. Yeah. It's, it's a happy ending. Yeah. Yep. It reminded me of the Adam Sandler movie Big Daddy. <laughs> I guess. A yeah, little, a little yeah, bit. You know, see. like this, you know... Man baby weirdo <laughs> takes a kid in, really bonds with the kid, but ultimately he can't keep the kid. Yeah. But he can keep him around. <laughs> uh, slight PSA, which weird segue. When uh, the the tramp gets the kid and they're like, oh, hello, John. Welcome back, Dad. He gives his kid like a kiss because he missed his kid. Straight flat on the lips. Straight on the lips. Several times. This is a thing. So here's my PSA, kids, to you when you have kids. Train your children not to kiss people on the mouth. I know that they're cute and tiny, and you just want to go, look at that little baby. Mwah. By the time they are one or one and a half, By the time you, need to, you need to train that out of them. Cheek kisses. Cheek kisses. Normalize cheek kisses. I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna see your five-year-old roll up to you and kiss you on the mouth. I mean, you raise your kid how you want. It's fine. But when that's the normally normalcy, luckily they've moved away from it in like standard TV now, where it's just like, oh, if you're playing a mother and son, you get kisses on the cheek. But I grew up watching like the Cosby's kiss people, which you're as a kid, you're like, yeah, that's mom and dad. But as an as an adult, you're like, that is that is a 14 year old girl kissing a grown man straight on the mouth, and I don't like it, and yeah. I'm not here for it. Yep. So Charlie, Train Chap your children to kiss on the cheek. Charlie Chaplin kissing this little boy on the mouth is a little strange. It's it's for its time. Yep, I guess so. I hate it. <laughs> but how did the kid do, uh, critically? The kid is widely considered one of the greatest silent films of all time. Didn't with... we just say that about the hard luck life? So, no, uh, something <laughs> like that. Uh, with many praising Charlie Chaplin's mix of comedy and drama. Uh, I think because it was so novel yeah. and different, people liked it. that. Yeah, Theater Magazine wrote, quote, Chaplin's new picture, The Kid, certainly outdoes in humor and the special brand of Chaplin pathos, anything this popular film star has yet produced. There are almost as many tears as laughs in, his, in the new first national release. 
The only time I cried was when I was trying to get away and you wouldn't <laughs> let me. Um, and Chaplin biographer Jeffrey Vance maintains, quote, The film is the perfect blend of comedy and drama and is arguably Chaplin's most personal and autobiographical work. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I can believe it's most personal. Yeah. Autobiographical. Is he really a tramp? I think be, I think he saw a lot of himself in the boy. You know, mm. like a young kid, hard on his luck, having to, uh, you know, basically live in like the rough and tumble uh, world of, you know, low, low income families, I guess. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. Um, so, where did Chaplin go from here? Charlie Chaplin's success continued through the 1920s, but then, talkies happened. <laughs> Chaplin? Did he do better than uh, Keaton did? No, no he did not. Oh, he dear. did worse. Much worse. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> so Chaplin was initial, initially resistant to producing any sound films mm. at all, right? Buster Keaton at least gave it a shot right. for the most part. Chaplin was like, nope. Um, well, Buster Keaton had written himself into a contract. <laughs> yeah. And he stuck through throughout the 1930s. He didn't write a single, like, he didn't star in a single talkie for the whole 30s. Hmm. And, like, the first talkie was the wedding singer. No, not the wedding singer. What was it? It was the, the jazz singer in 1928, uh, 1927. Good, because, you know, like, one has Adam Sandler in it. <laughs> <laughs> I might cut that out. <laughs> um, so, like, talkies were a thing in the 30s, but Chaplin was like, nope, only silent for me. Um, his first true sound film was 1940s The Great Dictator, mm. which satirized Adolf Hitler. Yeah. It's got that classic yeah. um, speech we, at the end of the movie. Can we play that? Can we just end on that? <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. I, I thought about it, but no. It, he did? It, that, that speech is incredible. You should mm-hmm. go watch that. Mm-hmm. Just, um, or the whole movie. We should watch the whole maybe, movie. Maybe, yeah. The Great Dictator, ladies and gentlemen. Speaking of Hitler, yes, Hitler was a fan of Charlie Chaplin. And he may have fashioned his mustache after Chaplin. There is disputable evidence on that. Could have just been it was a popular mustache at the time. I didn't like that segue. Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of Hitler, what? <laughs> I have to bring it up. We talk about the... I'm just saying, you got to talk about the, the, his, the, the legacy of Charlie Chaplin. Hitler is part of that legacy, That's unfortunately. He's fair. ruined a mustache for an entire, you know... That's very true. For an entire people's. Um, the next several years saw a series of controversies for Mr. Chaplin. He was involved in a divorce, an affair. Another one? And a fourth marriage. Oh. He was scrutinized by the FBI. Hmm. And he was accused of being a communist. Oh. Yeah. He was very outspoken in his older age on, like, politics. Well. And I guess him being outspoken, people labeled him a communist. Got it. When he, for, like, his, his response I read was like, I'm a peacemonger. <laughs> that's my, that's my philosophy. Um, That's fun. Peacemonger. So this all culminated in 1952 after traveling to London for the premiere of his film Limelight, which coincidentally marked the only time that Charles Chaplin and Buster Keaton worked together. Oh. Um, The United States Attorney General revoked Chaplin's re-entry permit to the United States pending an interview upon his return. Wow. They're like, you're too communist to come back. Chaplin decided to stay in Europe and make movies there instead. Well. Yep. Um, as the political climate in the U.S. calmed down and a new generation were discovering his films, Chaplin finally returned to the U.S. for the first time in 20 years to receive an honorary Oscar, I think in 1972. Does he have a star? I don't know. Probably. I would assume he does. <laughs> I don't know if he has two, but he certainly has one. Charlie Chaplin won, over the course of his career, three Oscars. He was knighted by the Queen. Oh. So he is Sir Charles Chaplin. And he's considered one of the greatest film icons of all time, mm. obviously. 
He does have an icon. He is iconic. Look, iconic. He's been called, quote, arguably the single most important artist produced by the cinema. And Time Magazine listed him among the 100 most important people of the 20th century. So, big shoes, literally and figuratively. Boo. Figuratively. Indubitably. And that's, that's the kid? And that's our movie segment. Yeah! Would you recommend Hard Luck? No! I would, because it, uh, I bet there's better Buster Keaton movies out there. Ones that are less racist. I doubt that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying there are a lot of really interesting stunts. Yeah. I think that's the... I think gag-wise, like, stunt-wise, like, this was interesting, and the big one, sure, but I, I mean, I've seen him saw a house in half and have it fall on top of him. Right. So... Um, I've seen him, like, straight up miss a fall from one building to the next and just run with it. Yeah. So... Um, yeah. I, I think I would recommend Hard Luck... Uh, if, you're, if you're curious, movie, I yeah. guess, because we talked about it. It's only 20 minutes 30. or 30 minutes. It's it's not that long. Mm. Would you recommend The Kid? No. I'd also only recommend The Kid if you're curious. <laughs> it's it's a silent film. Like, if, if you're interested, you've seen it already, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you if you're like are interested and you haven't yet, you probably will. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I can't say I recommend it, nor can I say I really enjoyed it all that much. Yeah. I think once the novelty wore off, uh, I wasn't really excited about anything until I got to the flying dog. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, so yeah, who won movies? We all lost. <laughs> we all lost. No one gets a point. No one gets a point. Especially there are no n- stars. You will not be voting in this poll. Especially not you, United States Attorney General. No points for you. <laughs> hey, so we're going to close out with this segment with... Um, so actually in 1972, Charlie Chaplin wrote and composed his own score for the kid. Mm. The kid was re-released in 1972, and he produced an entire score to go with it. So we're going to close out with the end, Dreamland slash the end from the kid's soundtrack as composed by Charlie Chaplin. Okay. We'll see you on the other side with our music of 1921. That's right. We're jamming it all together. And now a message from our sponsor. What you're seeing are a few scenes from one of the year's most important film events, dedicated to the two great categories of moviegoers. Those who like to laugh until they cry, and those who just like to cry. See Charlie G. Chaplin in The Kid... And the idle class. Don't you wish we weren't? Listening to some some old timey music. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a little jig. Shoulder shake. 
Oh, man. So music was its own can of worms, I'll tell you that. Can of worms is a better... Song? <laughs> can of worms is a better form of media than these are. Disney Channel original movie, Can of Worms. It's a better song than what we're coming in with. So... Yes. Before I reveal what the song is that we're listening to, um, I need to explain how difficult it was <laughs> to even determine what songs released in 1921. Because, believe it or not, 100 years ago, mu- music was not released the same way it is today. Tell me about it, Stud. Okay, so, according to Wikipedia's, like, Wikipedia, even, in its list of 1921 songs, does not have the clearest of rules on what is a 1921 song versus what is not. Mute, obviously, before sound recording, right? Before the, the, the Victrola tube or whatever it was. The Victrola tube. You know, like the mu- the music uh, uh, cylinder. Got it. You know, the wax. The record player? The wax cylinder. Got it. Before records, before discs. I have no idea what you're talking about, but okay. Before vinyl. Mm-hmm. Music, the, before any sound recording whatsoever, people didn't buy music to listen to. They bought sheet music. You to know? play. Because the the industrial revolution had happened, the printing press, or you know, so co- music companies could print sheet music mm-hmm. with lyrics and the notes and sell that in books. Right. right? So song books were very popular from like you know the the late eighteen hundreds to the early ninth you know nineteen hundreds. That makes sense. Nineteen tens. That's that's what was going on. That makes sense and explains a lot about Pride and Prejudice. There was a, a I think it's called Tin Alley, right? That was like a. a a place in New York where all of the music publishers were stationed, right? And mm-hmm. like, you know, up and coming musicians would go to Tin Alley and say, hey, we've written some songs. Would you like to purchase them so that you can print them and sell them to people? Yes, that sounds great. You know, so there was all of these different music publishers and that's how they made their money. Then sound recording became more common, right? Mm-hmm. So then they started, you know, these music publishers would still, they would buy songs from songwriters, right? Sometimes it was just the music, sometimes the music and lyrics, right? Then they would bring in their recording star, whoever it be, right? Al Jolson. Bring Cosby. Bring, bring Crosby's a little later, but that's <laughs> fine. They bring in their guy or woman to sing the songs that they have purchased, right? Right. And that's why once there's a standard, right? Like a jazz standard, a, ball, you know, a, a standard song, mm-hmm. anyone can record it and sing it. Yeah. So it's like as soon as a song is written and, and bought, right? Once it's a popular song, all bets are off. It's like we're gonna, uh, you know, this company's gonna record it, this company's gonna mm. record it, this company's gonna record it, right? So like music wasn't really attributed to the singer or the performer. It was attributed to who wrote it oh. and what company published it initially. Okay, that's interesting. So according to Wikipedia, in its list of 1921 songs, sometimes the songs are documented as 1921 if they were first published in 1921 or Mm -hmm. written in 1921 right Mm -hmm. but not necessarily recorded in 1921 oh man i'm glad i didn't do the research it sucked because (laughs) legitimately there were songs written in 1921 that were not recorded by anybody until 1928 and here's the problem we run an audio show, so I can't just say this song. This song is recorded in 1928. You're listening to a 1928 recording, even though we're talking about 1921 music. Mm. I didn't feel just like Buster Keaton. He had his creative pride. I have my creative pride, and I couldn't. I don't do that. have creative pride. <laughs> so but I didn't do the research. So I 
not only was it difficult to even decide between the two of us, have we heard any songs from 1921? None of the songs, I, I recognize none of them. All the titles, I was like, I've never heard any of these songs, right? So I had to do the research to figure out, have I heard this song somewhere? Then I had to do research and say, was that song recorded in 1921? If it was not, I could not. <laughs> I could not. <laughs> For example, the song, California Here I Come, which was very popular in the uh, Hugh Hauser program. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hugh Hauser was a guy who used to do like a public access TV show about traveling California and showing oh. its wonderful things. To see the dinosaur. Yeah, my, my dad loved Hugh Hauser and <laughs> his theme song was California Here I Come. California Here I Come was written for a 1921 musical, oh. but it was not recorded until 1928. <laughs> so obviously I could just grab a recording of that song because it didn't make sense. I had you to did. have found a song that was written, published, and recorded in 1921 because that's how much I care about it. Yes. And we did it, folks. We, meaning I, did it, folks. Nah. Nah. Humbug. So what we came in with is a 1921 recording. Thank you, Library of Congress. <laughs> <laughs> it's up there. The public owns it. You taxpayer, you own this song. You own it. It is a 1921 recording of the song. It, it's a medley mm. of the song Bandana Days and I'm Just Wild About Harry. <laughs> and that is Jess's song of 1921. I'm so you, passionate. You look so stressed. But <sighs> you are so, he's so cute, kids. Uh. First recorded July 1921. That's uh -huh. what we came in with. With lyrics by Noble Sissel and music by Yubi Blake from the Broadway show Shuffle Along, we have... I'm just wild about Harry. This is not a 1921 recording. This is a 1922 recording. Mm -hmm. But it has lyrics, so I need to play it. Got it. Yeah. Because the 1921 version does not have lyrics. Correct. It was just an instrumental. But it counts. Yes. So it is a song called I'm Just Wild About Harry. It is a <laughs> solo song, usually yes. a female vocalist, about, mm -hmm. uh, about how she's, she just loves Harry and he loves her back. That being said, I would love to see the Duke of Garbage sing this. <laughs> uh, the Deacon of Garbage? Uh Waters, yes. John, John Waters yes. of, of Crybaby like, fame. Usually sung by a woman, and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> it was also very, very, very uh, difficult to figure out, like I said, had we heard this song before? Mm -hmm. I see the name, I'm Just Wild About Harry, and I think to myself, I've never no, heard that song I've before. I've never heard that song. So I had to do a lot of research and think, okay, these are old songs. They've obviously been played a million times by many different people, right? Like, mm -hmm. have I heard it in a TV show or a cartoon? Right. So, a cartoon. This is, I'm going to play a clip from a, a famous cartoon, Looney Tune, right? And uh, with something we've all probably heard before. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Send me a kiss by wire. Baby, my heart's on fire. Baby, is, my heart's on fire. That is Sorry. Michigan J. Frog from the Looney Tune uh, One Froggy Evening. 
And uh, so we've all heard that one. You know, hello, my baby. Hello, my yes. honey. Yes. Um, if you watch that cartoon, which you have, correct? I have. I have also seen it. Just um, yesterday. <laughs> no, you've seen it. Before. You no, I mean you. We've seen. It, we saw it just yesterday. We saw it together. Yeah. Yeah. But you had seen it but previously. Yeah. yeah. If I um, said no now, how angry? would Oh, you I'd be? be so angry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fire in your eyes. But Michigan J Frog in that cartoon sings many songs, including "I'm Just Wild About Harry." Just wild about Harry, and he's just wild about cannot do without. He's just wild about me. We don't need the deacon. Thank of you, Michigan. Garbage. Thank you, Michigan J Frog. You have saved this episode. <laughs> so yes, Jess's song is "I'm Just Wild About Harry" because Jessica watched One Froggy Evening. It was weird that you called me Jessica. Sorry. <laughs> I called him Michigan. I must call you Jessica. I am one great dame, Jessica J Frog. <laughs> All right, Jessica J. Rabbit. Do you want to hear where this song came from? It came from a it, frog. This song legitimately has a very interesting story. Wait, I remember you making noises when you looked into the play. Uh, it's, again. Racist? Trigger warning, folks. This was the 1920s. Things were problematic. They didn't, yeah. They didn't have the same standards as we do today. They had so, jazz standards. Right. Um, <laughs> but this this story is very, very interesting. Okay, tell me. Okay, so... Like I said, the this, this song was written for the show Shuffle Along, which was born from a union of two different vaudeville groups. That is a running theme this entire episode. Vaudeville. Yeah. It seemed like everybody in show business in 1921 came from vaudeville. Well. So shortly after World War I, composer-songwriters Noble Sissel and U.B. Blake formed the vaudeville act The Dixie Duo. Okay. And meanwhile, playwrights and childhood friends Florney Miller and Aubrey Lyles were working as a popular comedy act on the vaudeville circuit as well. Florney? Florney. Dang it. Um, that was going to get a where the heart is connection. So all vaudeville performers, four black men. Oh, okay. Yep, yep, yep. I was reading like vaudeville history and generally it was like every vaudeville crew like troupe, mm -hmm. there was one black act. Cool. And uh, you know, so the, the, well, I, I guess I mean, they also had freak shows, so I'm going to say tentatively, cool. With a question mark, cool? <laughs> <laughs> so the, they were both in different vaudeville troops, mm -hmm. and, you know, um, uh, Sissel and Blake, they did music, and uh, Miller and Lyles, they were doing comedy. Right. After a chance meeting at an NAACP benefit in Philadelphia... The four men decided to team up and produce a musical called Shuffle Along. Okay. I guess they, because there was only one black act per vaudeville show, these guys would like cross paths but never meet each other. So mm. when they finally met each other, they were like, we need to do something together. Now. Yeah. <laughs> the time is hot to strike the iron. So the music and lyrics were written by Cecil and Blake and the review style connecting plot was written by Miller and Lyles. Okay. Yep. Sorry, it's taking my brain a bit to, luckily you'll cut out that space. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, despite apprehension by promoters of an all-black written musical, the group did secure funding and Shuffle Along began touring the New England circuit in 1921. And people went. People, oh, they sure did. Good. Yeah, it was a major success. So, it was the first major musical of its era to be produced, written, and performed entirely by African Americans. Whoops. I guess, like, I was, I kept reading, like, in 
the last 20 years like 20 it had been like 20 years before you saw something like this so i don't mm-hmm. know if like in the 1800s they were doing something similar mm-hmm. in some parts maybe in the south or something i'm not sure but yeah like in especially like new york broadway this was very new mm-hmm. revolutionary yeah so the show opened on broadway may 23rd 1921 at the very small daily's 63rd street theater and despite poor economic pro- prospects and a strong competition by other Broadway productions, Shuffle Along was a smash success and ran for an unprecedented 504 shows. Wow. Like, apparently Broadway musicals never saw that kind of success. Like, that's years. Because you're not, you're like, even if you did it every day, right? Like, to be over, but you don't do them every day. I had heard, like, its run ended in, like, 1923. Dang. Yeah, and then it just continued to tour around the U.S. Nice. Yeah, it was huge. And apparently it was like, you know, it broke social norms. Like this was like the first Broadway play where black patrons could come in and sit in the like yeah, the, the with, floor seats yeah. rather than at the balcony. <clears throat> um, no one had ever seen like an all black cast before. Yeah. It was even if it wasn't good, I'd show up for that. Yeah. <laughs> so only three compositions were actually written for the production, and those three songs were "Bandana Days." Love Will Find a Way, and I'm Just Wild About Harry. Um, the other songs used in the show were material that Blake and Sissel had tried unsuccessfully to sell to Tin Pan Alley, mm. which I talked about. Yeah. That's I'm Just Wild About Harry. What it's was- a song written for this play, Shuffle Along. What's a play about? Ah, I'm glad you asked that. Are you? Am I going to be glad I asked that? Okay, so I, I looked it up. The plot of the play is it's too, like... I think they're they're supermarket workers or something, right? Okay. Like two two like it's already sounding like a Key and Peele skit, but go. So ahead. they ba- they're jokers. They really <laughs> if, Key, I, I, if they were to remake, you know, Shuffle Along, Key and Peele would be <laughs> top the, on the list. The two jabronis. Hey, the Jordan yeah. Peele, what you doing? It's pandemic. We need to laugh. So these two guys decide we're both going to run for mayor. <laughs> ah, they're going to both be Goldie, Goldie Wilson. <laughs> so they both run for mayor, and they agree. Whoever wins, the other guy gets to be the chief of police, right? So they run. One guy becomes the mayor. One guy becomes the chief of police, and they ruin the town. Oh, no. So they, you know, it's it's a comedy. It's, you know, apparently mm-hmm. a bunch of antics. And, you know, it's just an, it's just an excuse for them to sing and dance That's in between fun. different skits. So I guess halfway through the show, a rival politician shows up to town, and he is the virtuous Harry. <laughs> Was uh, the the virtuous Harry Walton? Okay. Yep. So he the comes. Name seems very he, virtuous. He comes in. He's going to run against the mayor, and the whole town rallies behind Harry, and he wins. <laughs> There's something about Harry. And those two losers go back to being, uh, pay, you know, uh, workers at the supermarket or whatever. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's the story <laughs> of fine. Shuffle Along. I'd watch that. So I'm just wild about Harry, which was the show's most popular number. It acts as a love song between Harry Walton and his love interest Jesse Williams. Mm. Yeah. So let's let's break into that song a little bit here. The song is so dang catchy. It is. Do you think we can petition our local high school to just put on a one of these? We can like pitch it, not the high school, 
But we could probably pitch it to like some people at the university down the street. Like, hey, I will come and watch this. We want to see a modern reproduction of Shuffle yeah. Along. They did like a freaking cyberpunk Romeo and Juliet three Ooh. years ago. Uh, no, actually, it was the Twelfth Night. Continue. So the vocalist of the, this version here of this recording was Avon Delith. Avon Delith. Um, like some lady. <laughs> but um, good job, Vaughn. I wanted to focus a little bit on the lyrics. I know you didn't pull the lyrics up, so I have them. Okay. Right? So um, I was caught off guard listening to this by they didn't shy away from kisses. <laughs> you know, it's like his heavenly, the heavenly blisses of his kisses, right? I, I had thought, like, you know, especially of, like, 50s, you know, dispositions, like, you know, mm-hmm. when the Beatles, or in the 60s, when the Beatles, like, were writing rock songs, or, or Elvis in the 50s, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, ooh, how dare you talk about sex and raunch, <laughs> and he's just like, it's like that joke from Dewey Cox, where it's like, I'm just singing about holding hands, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, know. that is the devil music, but, no, man, in this song, it's like, they're talking about kisses, and, yeah. and all that stuff, and... It was the time of Prohibition, we're just gonna talk about all the things we want. Yeah. Um, interestingly, another, another, the, the next line of the chorus is he's sweet, just like chocolate candy or like the honey from a bee. Right. And I'm like chocolate candy. This is an all black play. That is clearly a race joke. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm like, at least they're having fun with it, yeah. you know, and they, I get the weight the white patrons get a laugh out of it. They're like, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> you know, and it's all wordplay. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. at least interesting. But I was also reading about it, like socially, this was super taboo at the time for there to be any depiction of reciprocated black love. It was taboo in any type of media, in film or whatever, for one black character to <clears throat> express love for another black character and that love to be reciprocated. That's weird. Yeah. Backward time, 1921. That's weird. So I'm Just Wild About Harry smashed through that norm. Good job, Harry. Yeah. Good job, Harry. That's weird. Let's listen to a bit more of this. There are some fellows that like all the girls. I mean the best with wicked lamb. But for every fellow, there must be a girl. I found my mate by kindness of fate. By kindness of fate. <laughs> um, she mentions she likes to vamp. <laughs> We 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 saw the word vamp when we watched the kid as well. Do you remember that? Yeah. We were like, what the heck is vamp? So I had to look it up. I feel like it means to seduce. It it totally means seduce. So it uh like a vamp is like a femme fatale. Got it. A seductress. So to vamp is to be seductive. Got it. So I I guess back in the twenties, like women used to go on the prowl. They'd used to vamp, you know. Jess is vamping right now. <laughs> I want to suck your blood, but mostly your bank account. <laughs> She's a van- gosh, vampire. <laughs> and so as far as like this song as a, as a performance, <clears throat> it wasn't originally supposed to be this catchy and like fun, I guess. It was supposed to be a waltz. It was written as a waltz. Oh. Which Because total- they were going to like waltz on stage? Yeah, I guess so. So um, UB Blake, his original version was a, a Viennese waltz. But the performer, Lottie G, who would have sang the song in the mm-hmm. production, wanted the number rewritten to be more up-tempo. Mm-hmm. Blake did not like that suggestion. And he said, he was like, no, you've got to ruin my waltz. <laughs> but he gave in when the rest of the production was on her side. Mm-hmm. So they rewrote I'm Just Walled by Harry to be a, you know, up-tempo one-step is what they... I'm trying to think of, like, what it would sound like. I'm just wild about... 
I'm like long sweeping yeah. waltz that's Harry I don't know yeah possibly um, and even so even then once it had been rewritten it still wasn't a hit with audiences hmm. the one unscripted thing happened that made this song a big hit apparently a particular dancer had taken ill and he had to be replaced before the show the understudy was a singer who did not know the steps of the song <laughs> so when he went out there he just decided to ignore the routine and improvise <laughs> And the improvisation of the song ended up being the most popular part of the performance, uh. and that became its thing. So I'm Just Wild About Harry was the spectacle that everyone wanted to see because uh. this weirdo wanted to just improvise the song, and it was a big <laughs> hit. And it was all about like comedy, and yeah. you know, it was about you know the love and the comedy. Yeah, all that love makes you feel a little goofy, yeah. and everything's a little. That's like, I like the, the way Sissel re- described it here. He said, "Quote: He dropped out of the line, and with a jive smile and a high step and routine of his own." He stepped the show cold. <laughs> I was like, that's... Step the show cold. We need to bring that expression back. I'm going to step that show cold. Dang it. Let's reopen our... our let's redo the, the opening. Hi, I'm going to step the show cold, I'm gonna Jess. Re- I'm going to record this show cold. <laughs> let's talk about the legacy of I'm Just Wild About Harry and Shuffle Along itself. Okay. <laughs> because, again... Oh, that's another thing about music from 1921. I looked it up. So, records back in the day... Right in the 1920s, records were so small and carried so little, for lack of a better word, data <laughs> on the disc. Mm-hmm. You couldn't put anything longer than a three-minute song or recording uh... on a disc. So that's why all of these songs are like three minutes long. And that's probably why that's the industry standard at this point, right? Like it's just a thing that's not changed. Like... Yeah, like pop songs are all three minutes, probably because back at, way back in the day, popular songs couldn't be longer than three minutes because they physically could not exist on a disc. <laughs> And it wasn't until like the LP in the 50s or whatever. I mean, you could fit, oh, we can sit for or four or 40s five songs. Maybe. Yeah, 40s maybe. Yeah. Um, so that's something to think about. So we're, ta- we don't, we're not talking about albums here, folks. We're talking about a single song because that's all that existed on <laughs> <Yeah>. an album. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm just wild about Harry, the legacy. As mentioned, Shuffle Along enjoyed a lengthy and popular run on Broadway, and it toured three more years after leaving New York. The show contributed to the desegregation of theaters and theater productions of the 1920s, giving many black actors their first chance to appear on Broadway. Yeah, buddy! And in the decade to follow, nine other all-black shows opened on Broadway. Giddy, giddy. Let's giddy. Everyone wanted to catch the train that was Shuffle Along. But Shuffle Along wasn't popular with everybody. Musician Rudolph Blank once said that the show, quote, Ruined his, <laughs> ruined his favorite places in African-American sociability in Harlem due to, it, due to its influx of white patrons. Fair. Yeah, so... Like, mm, you have contributed to gentrification. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, I'm Just Wild About Harry, both as an instrumental and with lyrics, became a popular recording standard. Um, it has been recorded by folks like Judy Garland, Al Jolson, Peggy Lee... Gene Stapleton and Daffy Duck. <laughs> Were most of those white people? <laughs> yes. Were all of those white people? I think so. Okay. Da- Daffy Duck is black. <laughs> okay. Literally. Well, I mean, Jennifer Hudson, you want to sing this? Oh, that would be that would be cool. <laughs> I'm down with that. Oh uh, man, man, we're just like we're just like fantasizing our own version of Shuffle along <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, we are. Jennifer I... Je- Jennifer Hudson is as 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 the love interest, Je- Jenny or whatever her name, yeah. Jesse. Well, her voice is super powerful, and she would just, like, outdo everyone else. You could also get, like, I don't know, Zendaya in there. <laughs> that was really rude. Her voice is just fine. It's just not the powerhouse of freaking Jennifer. <laughs> so, 
1948, I'm Just Wild About Harry was selected as Harry S. Truman's campaign song for the presidency of the United States. Wow. I thought this was funny. Republicans and even some Democrats that year joked, just mild about Harry. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> and where did the writers of the song and of Shuffle Along end up? Noble Sissel continued to play music all around the world, and in 1954, he became a DJ in New York with his show featuring the music of African-American recording artists. So cool. cool for him. Nice. UB Blake recorded music for film for decades and was a frequent guest on late night talk shows. Mm. Um, and in 1981, he received the Presidential Medal of Honor by Ronald Reagan. Uh, I'm just mild about that, too. <laughs> Florney Miller and Aubrey Lyles continued to write music and produce Broadway shows until Lyles' death in 1932. Uh, Miller then set his sights on the film industry, performing in, performing in and writing for several all-black films between 1930 and 1950. All right. And that is I'm Just Wild About Harry. So let's let... Uh, Miss Deleith finish off the song for us as we transition to the next song. Yeah, so moving on. Shuffle, shuffling along to my <laughs> song of 1921. I don't know if... Do I want to tell the story first or do I want to introduce the song first? <laughs> I think I'm going to tell the story first. Okay. okay. So, again, this was very, very difficult to determine what my song was from 1921. Mm. I almost thought we didn't have one. I almost maybe thought we'd have to go with, like, a classical song or something. <laughs> I, here's how it went down. Okay. So, as I'm... I had to listen to so many songs from 1921 just to, like, jog my memory. Like, have I heard this? Have I heard this? Have I heard this? And it was all, no, 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 <laughs> no. Then I heard one singer... His name was Al Jolson Singh. And Al Jolson has a very particular voice, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to Al Jolson sing. And I was like, I have heard his, at least his type of voice before. I've heard the way he sings before. Where have I heard this before? And I realized that I have heard Al Jolson sing in a film we've talked about. The Brave Little Toaster. Mm. The radio from Brave Little Toaster plays this song in a scene. That is really Al Jolson singing <laughs> the song My Mammy. So when I'm hearing Al Jolson sing, <laughs> well, as I'm doing research for this show, I'm like, it just reminds me of Mammy. <laughs> right? And I was like, did Al Jolson sing that song that the radio plays? It sure did. Yeah, that, that is that was Al Jolson's My Mammy. And Weird. then I stumble upon the Brave Little Toaster wiki, and there is a list of songs featured in the Brave Little Toaster. Mm -hmm. Amongst the songs played by the radio was the song April Showers by Al Jolson. What we need is some wake-up music. So when it's raining... Have, Have no, no regrets. regrets. <laughs> that is John Lovitz as the radio in Brave Little Toaster singing April Showers by Al Jolson. So, Which premiered in 1921. <laughs> first recorded October 1921 with music written by Louis or Louis Silvers and lyrics by B.G. De Silva for the musical Bombo. <laughs> oh, gosh. We have April Showers popularly sang by Al, Al Jolson. Jolson. 
Life is not a highway strewn with flowers. Still it holds a goodly share of bliss. When the sun gives way to April showers, here's the point you should never miss. A unique voice, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's how we got here. April showers. Thank you, Brave Little Toaster. You just don't stop, Brave Little Toasty. Brave Little Slothead saves the day again. You never stop. Why won't you stop? Why? All right. So do you want to get into the history of this song? Yeah. All right. So opening October 6th, 1921. Bombo! Bombo! <laughs> it's a fun word to say. <laughs> um, essentially served as a showcase for singer and comedian Al Jolson. Mm. By 1911, Jolson had performed in the circus, in vaudeville, and on Broadway as a singer, gaining fame for his voice and his blackface-based antics. <sighs> That was his thing. I know I said I was ready, but I think I lied to you. His thing, he report he rec- he performed all his shows in blackface. It was a big hit. That's what made him famous. Was the blackface? I don't condone it. I mean, I know you don't. <laughs> I, I I don't support Al Jolson for this. Don't buy his records, kids. <laughs> and by 1920, he was the biggest star on Broadway, due to the blackface. Yay. <laughs> Bombo <laughs> debuted at and alongside Jolson's 59th Street Theater. They opened the theater just for him. What? Bombo was its first production. Jolson, as his black-faced Gus character, plays a slave to Christopher Columbus on their voyage to the New World. I'm not lying. Could you? Could you lie, though? <laughs> I was like, that is probably the most, like, problematic production of all time and i bet you there's worse ones out there but that is quite the quite the thing the plays the thing that we hate so okay al jolson plays like they were just there to let al jolson sing and dance the Mm -hmm. stories were like not important right it was like interchangeable it was just like people wanted to go and watch him sing and dance sing and dance in blackface the, the musical had a super thin story, and it was only designed to showcase song and dances for Jolson. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, as the show went on, songs were, like, added in and pulled out oh. considerably. It was like a revolving door of songs. It was just his Vegas show? Sort case. of, yeah. <laughs> it was his residency. And it was <laughs> That's like, what it sounds like. It was like, oh, this, show's, or this song's not a hit. This number's not a hit. Get it out of here. Let's get a new one in. So April Showers was one of those songs. Hmm. One of the hits or one of the... It was one of the hits. It was hmm. probably the biggest hit of the show, um, it, but it was one of the songs they just, like, added in, Ugh. you know? Like, it wasn't necessarily written for Bombo yeah. in particular, but it was it. Got it. And that's that's Bombo, and that's April Showers. It is a song that really has nothing to do with the show itself. It's just... Yeah, we don't need he's... a remake of this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there have been revival shows of Shuffle Along. I hope that there's no revivals of of <laughs> bombo from your lips to the ears of baby jesus <laughs> all right so let's hear a little bit more of april showers uh, remember he opens the song with this is something you should never miss it is a didactic song he's trying to teach a lesson yeah about uh, life keep keeping you know keeping uh, the kayfabe <laughs> no <laughs> you know staying positive not letting yourself get down oh april a shower May come your way, they bring the flowers, 
if it's raining. It's raining. I because it isn't raining, rain, you know. It's raining violets. Violets. No, no, it's raining water, <laughs> sir. So the song really is just like, hey, there's a there's a silver lining in every cloud. Don't get down if it's raining on you. Look at the positives, right? It's not raining. It's not raining April showers. It's it's bringing the flowers. It's you know, it's <laughs> springtime. If there's no rain, there's no life. There's no life. Yeah, like don't be a bluebird. You can't grow your food. Yeah, it's just a it's a positive song. It's like. Get your toxic positivity out of here. <laughs> toxic positivity. That's my new metal band. Is toxic, that a toxic positivity? That's a, that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, I've never heard that before. I like that. Tox, toxic possibility. Toxic positivity. positivity. Yes, that is April showers for you. <laughs> any any thoughts you have on April showers as we listen to it? Um, no. I really like the use of the word goodly. I don't know why, but it makes me feel goodly. <laughs> Really, like, as you were listening to the songs, like, was it really just in one ear, out the other? Yes. Sorry. Very disposable? Like, yeah. You, you, could you even, like, discern which one of these songs do I like better? I mean, Harry's catchy. More catchier than yeah. this? Yeah. I think but, that... Good. I think this one, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, in some ways, it's a little classier. Like, it's trying to be more profound, right? Yes. I hear what you're saying, but it's trying too hard. Because it's so didactic, and then also it's just very much that, like, it's the sound that I relate most things of this era to. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, it all sounds the same. Whereas Harry, like, it's not a waltz. Like, it's picked up. It's, I'm just wild about Harry. And it's doing a lot. And it's just like, okay. Like, it's more interesting. Right. I totally agree with you. Phonically. Phonically. And where you see clouds... Upon the hills. Also, when things say upon the hills, it makes me think of the hills uh, are alive with the sound of music. It makes me think of the sound of music, and I hate this the sounds, sound of music. This sounds like something passionately. I, this sounds like something I would think would be in the sound of music. Have you ever seen the sound of music? I have not, but I've seen that classic clip of her like this. <laughs> the bell. <laughs> yeah, and it's just this totally sounds like it. it's so like formulaic. It doesn't yeah. do anything. He's just like you know. It's very, very gentle. That's... Uh, I don't know. This sounds like a waltz. Yeah. Yeah. Should have should have made it a one-step, Al. <laughs> <laughs> April shots. Clicking your fingers. Yeah. I bet, so, I bet you some jazz musicians made this way more fun. I, I guarantee that. Oh, she's looking it up. <laughs> I am. All right, so let's let's talk about the legacy of, of April showers, of Bombo, mm-hmm. of Al Jolson. Al Jolson was America's most famous and highest paid entertainer throughout the 1920s. I thought that was Chapman. Chap- uh, Chaplin. May- maybe in, in terms of the music industry, but Charlie Chaplin was certainly, you know, the most famous in film. But Al Jolson, he was, he, he got paid the highest, apparently. Okay. So he was uh, the rock of his time. Yes. Yes, he was. <laughs> Except he was, far he, more racist. He was, the, he was the Dwayne Johnson of 1920s. Oh, dear. In 1927, he starred in The Jazz Singer, the first true talking picture. Do you mean The Wedding Singer? No, I don't. <laughs> um, and he continued to act, sing, and perform until his death in 1950. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, America's Sweetheart. <laughs> That's a movie. Uh, April Showers became a popular Jolson standard, and he, the singer frequently re-recorded it 
over and over again. That's just what he did. Yeah. The song has been recorded by many singers like Bing Crosby, mm-hmm. Carol Burnett, mm-hmm. Cab Calloway, Frank Sinatra, and Bugs Bunny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and in 1948, comedy musician Spike Jones, not that one, um, produced a parody that began with the lyrics, Warren April showers, she never closes the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that really happened. And... Uh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> That's April Showers. Al Jolson, let's let's wrap this thing up. And listening for his song Whenever April Showers <laughs> Sounds like the Wizard of Oz to me. Yeah. I'm pretty sure funny you should say that i was gonna say yeah uh, what's her face judy garland did a cover of this yeah i was gonna say i i would not i was just about to say i wouldn't have been surprised if miss garland yep recorded a song she sure did do you want me to press it no it's okay um so yeah that's our show 1921 <laughs> i hope you enjoyed this as much as i did would you recommend harry over definitely yeah harry won against april showers for sure <laughs> if we want to stick to a draw, I guess I'm fine with that too. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I don't even need to recommend either of the songs because you've heard them already. Yeah, you've heard the whole of them. Yeah. But if we hear anything about um, Shuffle Along being a, in a revival, we will let you know. Yeah. Um, so that's the end of our show. Yeah. Um, we hope you enjoyed this um, one and only April Fool's joke we played on you. Did we say April Fool's? April Fool's. I, I did. Okay. <laughs> Um, if, if you like the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Media Made Show, and you can follow us on Instagram at Media Made Show. Um, give us a follow on your favorite podcast machine. Um, give us a five-star review. That helps a lot. Yeah, please. Um, and hey, just keep listening. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Maybe not about this episode. Yeah. Tell a friend to go listen to our 1989 shows, which will be coming up very, very soon. Yeah. As for me personally, you can follow me t- on Twitter at Rod the Master, and uh, I have a YouTube show called keep kayfabe we talk about wrestling so if you like carnies if you like all this carny talk we talk wrestling on that show keep kayfabe on youtube um i also write for a website called zeldadungeon.net if you like the legend of zelda check us out yeah and you can find me uh taming tales on youtube i actually just uh last week put up a couple of story videos the story is called twice the fool it's about love Except terrible because it went up to the because it went up in February, and I can't write a love story well, so it it doesn't actually end in love. <laughs> is, it, is it a better love story than I'm just wild about her? Absolutely not. Mm. <laughs> and with that, uh, thank you for listening. We're going to close out with uh, whatever jazz version of April showers that we can find. Just in the description, we'll we'll name it. <laughs> so, thanks for listening. See you later. Night, kids. Keep your noses clean and you drink sober. Because it's the 20th. We hope you listened cold. (laughs) (laughs) We hope hope this show was cold. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. 